Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I am Gil Gross. What a big show we have today. Congratulations to Borna Chorich. He is back. What a story to head into the U.S. Open with. The man who was once hailed as someone who was sure to be a big part of the future of men's tennis. We were looking at a guy in 2018 who was number 12 in the world, just 22 years of age. At one point, I think he was a top 15 player at just 21. And unfortunately, injuries have really halted his progress. But boy, is he back. He is a Masters 1000 champion. He has won the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. He has defeated Stefano Tsitsipas in straight sets in the final. Uh, he had an incredible run. He beat Rafael Nadal in his second match. And I am going to break down the final and talk about what the heck happened this week with Borna Chorich. But first, it is time for the U.S. Open Power Rankings, which uh, I'm feeling a little bit better about this week. I'm going to show you what it looked like last week. Last week, uh, missing the cut was Cameron Nori, Andre Rublev, Taylor Fritz, and Yannick Sinner. In the top 10 U.S. Open power rankings, at number 10 was Matteo Berrettini, 9, Tsitsipas, 8, Oje Aliassime, 7, Rude, 6, Hercoc, 5, Carreño Busta, 4, Alcaraz, 3, Kyrgios, 2, Nadal, and number 1, Daniil Medvedev. Everyone kind of struggled in that in the previous power rankings and the power rankings that I kind of started hardcore season with. Everybody struggled in um, in Canada, right? This week, everyone who did well in Canada, all four semifinalists in Canada, lost with. Well, I think they all lost their opening match in Cincinnati. So nobody followed up their, you know, a, a run to the weekend in Canada with a good run in Cincinnati. Conditions are a little bit different. Fatigue factor back-to-back week, obviously very difficult, but that is notice, uh, notable. I will also say before I show you this week's version of the U.S. Open Power Rankings that uh, Cincinnati is a more accurate representation of the U.S. Open these days. It used to be really the other way around because Cincinnati had pen balls and was just really always lightning quick, one of the fastest hard courts of the season. And the U.S. Open was slow and gritty as a hard court. You know, the U.S. Open was more like Indian Wells than it was Cincinnati. And and Canada was uh, definitely a more accurate representation of... Um, of the U.S. Open. We saw Nadal kind of have success at both, but not so much Cincinnati. Uh, since 2020, you know, the U.S. Open has been playing much more glassier, lower bouncing and quicker. To me now, Cincinnati is the closer relative to the U.S. Open. So with that said, I am going to weight the results in Cincinnati a little bit more than I will Canada. So without further ado, it is July 21st, 2022, and these are the U.S. Open Power Rankings. Missing the cut is Rude, Rublev, Berrettini, and Sinner. Karenia Busta at 10, Hercoc at 9, Nori at 8, Fritz at 7, 
OJ Aliasim at six, Tsitsipas at five, Kyrgios at four, Alcaraz at three, Nadal at two, Medvedev at one. I'll flash this back up on the screen uh, once I'm done, but let me let me go through everybody. Let me go through everybody, beginning with Medvedev. Look, uh, Daniil needs to serve, uh, loses to Tsitsipas in the final, I mean, sorry, the semifinal in Cincinnati, which is not a terrible result. He, come, he does have a title, uh, winning in Los Cabos. He needs to serve better than he has. And I'm beginning to question whether or not he's completely over the hernia surgery that he had earlier this year. Uh, plus, there seems to be an issue anytime he runs up against someone who can serve in volley really, really well. But to me, still the U.S. Open favorite based on results. Um, and, you know, close between Nadal. Maybe it's Nadal. Uh, but on a speedy hard court, he has been the best. The U.S. Open is speedy hard court. And not only that, as the defending champion... He has proven himself in both best of three and best of five. So Medvedev is at number uh, one. At number two is Nadal, undefeated at majors when healthy this year. Well, undefeated at majors in matches that he's played. Uh, without Djokovic, he is the mental titan in the field, being the 22-time major champion that he is. It just gives you a different edge mentally. Uh, I would... Uh, Take into account his previous titles at USO at the US Open a little bit more had the conditions not changed so much. And to me, that leaves me more curious about Nadal than I, I would be. You know, if if we were still looking at the conditions where he won the event in 2019, he won the event in 2017, he won the event two times previously before then. Um it would be kind of a different story for me, but I'm still kind of like, uh, I don't know, is Rafa going to enjoy this particular hard court? Uh, it's, you know, that that's a real question. Um, zero wins on hard court since Wimbledon. Uh, or sorry, zero wins, I should just say, period, since Wimbledon. So that's why he's number two. That's why he's not number one, despite being the great Rafa Nadal. Carlos Alcaraz comes in at number three, lost a thriller to Cam Nori this week. Uh, it was good to, for him to get a couple of wins under his belt in Cincinnati after losing to Tommy Ball in Canada. Uh, still just doesn't seem the same from earlier this year mentally. Another awful breakpoint conversion rate in this loss to Nori. He's still playing great for the most part in low and medium stakes situations. He's putting himself in position to win literally every single match he's playing. Uh, he has won a set in every match he's played, but recently under pressure, he's just wilted. Uh, and you just you look at the breakpoint stats. Um, you look at the tiebreak numbers, the deciding sets numbers, and uh, there's just been a dip in high pressure situations for Alcaraz's ability to perform, and that's why he's number three. But I mean, he still is capable of just mind-bending um, tennis. Kyrgios gets knocked down to number four. Alcaraz didn't move up because this week made me more optimistic about him. Uh, but Kyrgios does move down because he got crushed by Taylor Fritz. He didn't compete hard. And it's the second time he's kind of gone out with a whimper. 
he gets a partial pass, certainly for all the tennis he's played, but not a full pass. Um, after losing in the quarterfinals last week, you know, you'd expect him to be a little bit fresher this week and just uh, be able to have the physical and mental durability to at least compete hard, and he didn't. So that's why he goes down to number four, but still uh, the most consistent performer since the start of the grass court season. Win percentage at 77% for the year. Nick comes in at number four. At number five is Tsitsipas with uh, with a big run to the final here at um, in, uh, in Cincinnati. Australian Open semifinal, Cincinnati final. Pretty good highlights for Tsitsipas' hardcourt season heading into the U.S. Open. He does lead the tour in wins. That counts for something. He needs to prove that he can handle New York. Some players hate New York. Tsitsipas uh, has not said he hates New York, but mentally he's been extremely inconsistent in flushing. And uh, recently, there also have been some mental red flags in general, which I'll get into. Uh, but uh, confidence should be high with with the elite skill that he has coming off of a final. Tsitsipas has got to be number five. I'm ac- I actually feel pretty good about this. Last week, Karenia Busta was in the number five position, and I'm like, who's the real number five? I don't know. I feel pretty good about Tsitsipas this week coming in at number five. At number six, Oje Aliassime. Uh, while it's true he hasn't had a deep run at either of the hardcourt Masters lead-ups, he, um, he's had good wins both weeks. He beat Nori in Canada. He beat uh, Sinner this week in Cincinnati. So that's a good sign. Quarterfinals are better for FAA at all of the last four majors, including the U.S. Open semifinal last year. Great efforts this year against Medvedev in that Australian Open quarterfinal and against Rafa in that Roland Garros quarterfinal. Those are, to me, those are win, those are losses rather that I actually look at as real positives, that uh, losses that tell me that FAA is just knocking on the door and ready to break through at a slam. However, he does have some bad losses this year. You look at the Sunshine Double, for example, huge disappointment for FAA. You still feel like there's that upset potential there. Coming in at number seven is Taylor Fritz. Uh, beat Kyrgios and Rublev with a big week in Cincinnati, plus set points against Medvedev in a really, really high-quality first set against the world number one. You look at the bigger picture with Taylor Fritz. This guy is 12-5 and five against top 20 opponents on hard court over the course of the last year, 6-4 and four versus the top 10. The numbers speak for themselves here. I know that there is still some, uh, I feel like there's some skepticism with Taylor Fritz, but the man is really good on a hard court in the last year. Really, really good. And I think well-deserved to be number seven here. Uh, Nori comes in at eight. Uh, really good hard court season. Los Cabos final. Canada round to 16. Cincinnati semifinal. He also has that big elite win. You know, beating Alcaraz last week in a really well-played match. That should count for a lot. Wimbledon semifinal means that he comes in without having the baggage of the struggles at slams. He had never passed round three at a major. This is the first time he comes into a major, and he shouldn't feel like the, geez, I really got to make the second week here. Like, what is going on? So I really love that for Cam Nori. Hubert Hercotch, Masters 1000 hardcourt results really buoy his resume in this case. A disappointing loss to Isner this week, but look, everyone who went deep in Canada struggled. So... I guess you can chalk it up to fatigue. You could give Hercotch a pass, but 
Um, if you look at the results, and someone pointed this out in the comment section last week, Hercotch has actually been better on slow hard courts, where his forehand just doesn't get as rushed, and he can get more returns in play. Uh, worth noting, I think, uh, kind of a positive for Hercotch. Tough matchup for two top four contenders, Medvedev and Kyrgios. Historically, Hercotch has given them a really hard time. Karenia Busta finally at number 10, drops down five spots. And look, it's not fair to penalize him too much for losing to Ketsmanovic in a long three-setter, third-set tiebreak after winning the title in Montreal. But this is probably closer to where PCB belongs in this power ranking. Um, I did have high expectations for him coming into last year's U.S. Open, and he lost first round in a fifth set tiebreak to Maxime Cressy. So no points really to defend at the U.S. Open. Let's see what he can do because it looks like he's a candidate to have a really nice run. In terms of players who missed the power ranking, and I will mention Borna Chorich, don't worry, uh, Sinner. Sinner's the guy who everyone's saying in the comments that he should be in there, and I get why. Because I have a lot of faith in him as well. But the U.S. Open Power Rankings is just based on results. And the the man just needs to... He needs a big win on this surface. And he just doesn't have one. He is a point away from being 0-4 against top 20 players on hardcourt this year. But he's 1-3. Because he managed to save a bunch of match points against Karenia Busta in Miami. That being said, he's been very consistent. Um at beating who he needs to beat, just without impressive wins on this surface and not enough of a kind of career resume on in big hardcore tournaments for me to lean on. Um, and he misses the top 10 because the results aren't there. Berrettini doesn't have a hardcore win since March. Hopefully the COVID isn't affecting him too much from way back at Wimbledon. We've seen just a, a small uh, percentage of players have lingering effects, and hopefully that's not happening to Berrettini. Uh, because uh, he has not looked good really since coming back, um, which means even though he's made the semifinals at the Australian Open at the and the U.S. Open, he still doesn't make this top ten. Andre Rublev just one win across Canada and Cincinnati, uh, but he's still solidly a top fifteen player on hard court. I can't see anyone arguing with that. Kasparud. It's a tough one for him to be as good a player as he is and to not be in this power ranking. But if you lose in straight sets easily to a player well outside the top 100, that's by far the worst result we've seen out of anyone in this group of players. And you're going to get penalized for that in such a competitive field. Um, you know, great results in... There's also questions about court speed still, I think. He's now 0-3 against lefties outside the top 100 this year. And all of those were big serving lefties on a quick surface. Like, there just seems to be still some issues with him if you're going to serve really well to his backhand on a surface like we see in New York. You know, great results in Miami and Canada, but poor results at the Australian Open, the U.S. Open, and in Cincinnati. And, you know, because of that, it's fair to question, is New York a little bit too quick and low bouncing for Hubert Hercotch. Overall quality of play, good run in Canada, deserving of a spot in this uh, very competitive group of players who are in the next out. Look, I want, I, I'd love to include Borna Chorich, but it's one week. Are you kicking out Kaspar Rude, a top five player? Are you kicking out Andre Rublev, who's been 
just a winner on hard court, a winner over the last two years, uh, three years, really, because you look at 2020 as well. Are you kicking out Matteo Berrettini, who's been in these semifinals on hard courts, multiple U.S. Open semifinals? Are you kicking out Yannick Sinner? No. So I loved what Chorich did. I think he would be, if there were five next outs, Chorich has the spot, but I'm sorry, couldn't do it. One more time up on the screen for those watching on YouTube. And with that, let us move on to the Cincinnati final that we just witnessed. What a story, Borna Chorich. Um, really happy to see him back uh, because he is such a, uh, a talent. Um, for anyone who's like, what, what the heck happened to Chorich? Can you fill me in? Uh, he's just kind of popped up out of nowhere. Here's the story. He has had, uh, first of all, a lot of back issues, back problems uh, since 2018. But uh, the injury that really was the dagger in his heart and saw him miss over a year was a shoulder injury that required surgery. Now, he said the, the, the shoulders bothered him on and off actually since 2018 as well. So Chorich just, he wasn't healthy for a very, very long time. And he was still just battling through it, trying to play, trying to play, trying to play. Uh, and it just wasn't working. So he spent, uh, he stopped playing March of last year after that indoor hard court, you know, February swing. And then he had shoulder surgery in May. He came back this year at Indian Wells. So he missed about a year exactly. And when you miss a year of time you uh, off of tour because of an injury, you get to use a protected ranking so that you're able to get into tournaments and you don't need to just work your way up through the challenger tour um, again. Um, so Chorich came back, used his protected ranking to return at Indian Wells and right away, you know, he was competitive, but he just couldn't make a run. He couldn't get his ranking up. He lost a three-setter to Davidovich Fikina when he came back. Then he lost a three-setter to Sinner in Miami. Lost a three-setter to Zverev in Monte Carlo. He got tough. He kept getting tough draws and playing close matches, and he just couldn't win. Uh, flash forward now to this week. He is coming in to this Cincinnati Masters as the world number 152. And you only get 12 chances to use a protected ranking. And then, you, then you're out of it. He um, entered the U.S. Open on a protected ranking. And so that was his 10th. This event was his ninth protected ranking. He was running out of time. He was still outside the top 150, and he was running out of protected rankings. Uh, what he would have had to start doing is begging for wild cards or playing challengers. And what do you know? He goes on the run of all runs. He is now number 29 in the world, and he will be seated at this year's U.S. Open. He beat Lorenzo Musetti in the first round. Nadal in the second, Bautista Agut in straight sets, 6-2-6-3, FAA in straight sets, 6-4-6-4, Nori in straights, 6-3-6-4, Tsitsipas in straights, 7-6-6-2. Holy moly, Borna Um, 
again, as I said at the top, this is a guy in 2018 who was a part of one of the original, actually, no, the original, the first ever uh, next-gen finals. In fact, I'm going to pull it up right now. 2018 next-gen finals. Borna Chorich was in it. Um, oh, no. Was it 17? It was actually 17 was the first one. Borna Chorich was in it. Here were the names. It was um, Rublev was the one seed, Hatchinov the two, Shapo the three, Chorich the four, Jared Donaldson was the five, Hian Chung was the six, Medvedev was the seven, and uh, then the Italian wild card uh, Quincy, who I haven't heard from. Uh, Tiafo and Tsitsipas just missed the cut at eight and nine. How crazy is that to look back? So Chorich was one of the brightest stars in the game. Uh, and, and he had some really big wins immediately, um, you know, early in his career, you know, uh, went over Federer, went over Nadal. So like, you know, things were, people were really high on him and rightly so. I was really high on him and right and rightly so. Uh, but here is what changed this week. What changed this week, the one thing, and I said this after the Nadal match and it continued. The one thing that Chorich showed me this week that I have never seen from him was the the serve speed. He became a bomber this week. He averaged 128 miles per hour on his serve against Nadal. He averaged 124 miles per hour on his serve against Tsitsipas, still phenomenal. That was never Borna Chorich. Chorich was, you know, coming off of the shoulder surgery at, you know, earlier this year, they, they showed what he was at Indian Wells. Uh, he was at 114. They showed what he was pre-surgery. Uh, the the good folks at Hawkeye on the Tennis Channel broadcast, he was at 117. Now he's at, whoa, now he's mid to high 120s. Now he's averaging 126 for the tournament? What the heck? Chorich is a bomber? Chorich has a huge serve? How could this be? Uh, I have never seen anything like this. The closest thing I've seen is there was one time Alex Dimonor, I think it might have been Atlanta a couple years back, he came in, served a million aces. Dimonor was like a huge server, didn't face a break point, and it was like, and then it kind of faded away. So now as we move forward, you know, I'm very curious to see who is Borna Chorich as a server? Is he a guy who averages high 120s, which puts him right up there with the biggest servers in the game? It puts him right up there with Zverev. It puts him up there with uh, with Herkoch. You know, that's the level. That's the speed that we were seeing from Chorich. Seriously. Um, is he that guy or was this just lightning in a bottle? Here is uh, why this could be, you know, here to stay. Uh, Chorich is only six foot two, by the way, but he's a, he's a, uh, a freak athlete, a fantastic athlete. Well, first of all, uh, he has a fortified shoulder. It is surgically repaired. And he says that he took an incredible amount of care, strengthening it and rehabbing it to the point where he thought that he could have played the Australian Open, uh, but instead did this. He was in the gym getting that shoulder as strong as humanly possible, putting in the hard yard. So 
perhaps he has just reached a new level in terms of how live that arm is because the fast twitch muscle fibers have been fortified in some way. Crazy to me, but maybe it is. The other change that he made is his racket is now lighter by 15 grams. Now, does that normally mean you can serve harder? Absolutely not. I'm just presenting the facts here. I am just saying that these are the, the potential reasons. Or maybe uh, he just put the toss more out in front and started hitting the serve more flat and was going after it more, loosened up his wrist. You know, who knows what happened, but that's what happened here. Uh, Chorich just started serving huge. Now, there were a lot of things about Chorich this week that has always been the case, and I do want to revisit that. How did Gil... Uh, let me tell you how I felt about him in 2018. If you weren't watching the channel, here's what you would have heard me say about Chorich when a lot of people were thinking that he was going to be a big part of the, the future of elite men's tennis. Um, I loved his mental game or I, I love, I'm just going to speak in the present tense, even though I'm talking about 2018. I love his mental game. I think he is one of the great warriors in men's tennis. He was always mature. He never had issues controlling his emotions. He always fought, fought as hard as he could. And he had a bit of a mean streak in him, which I, I just liked. He played with a certain intensity and killer instinct and I never saw him really lose control. I never saw him get discouraged. I never saw him lose discipline or get upset. I mean, he just, from the very start, even when he was super young, I'm just like, this guy's mental game is fantastic. This guy competes great. And he still has that. Uh, the second thing is this guy's unbelievably physical. And again, this was the case when he was very young. When I was comparing him to your Stefano Tsitsipas's of the world, and your Karen, Hat well, Hatchinov was kind of developed physically. But when I was comparing him to the, some of these other young guys or, uh, you know, Medvedev or um, Rublev for sure, uh, I looked at Chorich and I'm like, this guy's the most ready physically. This guy's ready. This guy, physically and mentally, this dude's beyond his years. So I felt that Chorich was going to be the first to break through. Zverev had already broken through, but he doesn't really count. Uh, I thought he'd be the first to break through. But I did not think that he would have the best career. And I still don't. I still don't. Uh, because technical, you know, if you look at his technical skills alone, uh, his racket talent alone, um, after the the backhand, which is phenomenal, he's got a such a good backhand. It kind of falls off after that. He's not amazing. He's not awesome after that. Uh, the forehand, the touch, the volleys, uh, the serve previously. None of it was awesome. He didn't feel like he had huge weapons from the back of the court. If he's a big server, this changes everything. If he can serve as big as he did Today, this changes everything. And obviously, the X factor, can he stay healthy? Because only if he can stay healthy can he be a factor. But if he's going to be a huge server with an incredible mental game who has tremendous athleticism and physicality and endurance and a great backhand, that changes everything. It really does. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see what he does moving forward. Now let me get into the match. Um, 
let's just address how effective his serve was because it's the most topical thing and it's very kind of simple. Uh, he, you know, we're looking at a, you know, pass on a really quick court. Uh, previously, kind of the, the thought is that you can, you know, pass is not an elite returner on a fast court. So you can get a lot of free points. And against Medvedev in nighttime conditions, albeit, that didn't happen. And we talked about pass returning um, over 70% of Medvedev's uh, first serves. And Medvedev hitting only 28% first serves unreturned. Guess what Chorich did? So keep that number in mind. Medvedev was 28% unreturned. Chorich was 56%. He got double the purchase. Seven aces, 13 service winners. 84% first serves won from Chorich. Um, and it's a low bar, but he made a higher percentage of first serves. So not only was he getting a higher percentage of free points, better percentage of points won, he also just played more first serve points. So the first serve became a huge factor in this match. It was not neutralized by the Pass return like Pass was able to neutralize the Medvedev serve. And if you want to look at speed, 124 mile per hour average, that is a little bit down from some of Chorich's averages this week, uh, but Medvedev averaged 121. So it was a quicker serve than what Pass saw against Medvedev. Plus daytime conditions a little bit hotter. It, it, it comes a little bit quicker. Uh, so first, you know, the Chorich serve continuing to be a huge advantage. He's getting free points like an elite server does, you know, 56%. That's what a Zverev, a Hercotch, a Medvedev, that's what those guys do with their big serves. So that's the first thing. Uh, but what I do want to point out in this match, um, as we look at the Titipas side of things, I do want to talk about where Titipas left some points on the table because it was the small details. Um, there were some small details that, that Stefanos did not get right. And then I'll circle back to Chorich. And uh, talk about, you know, just a major advantage he had technically. Uh, but I think this stuff is more interesting. And I've talked ton a ton about Chorich, so I do want to get Tsitsipas. Uh, Chorich, I talked about how, how much I love his mental game. Tsitsipas did not play a good match here mentally. Because I, don't, I didn't feel like he handled adversity well. Some bad stuff happened. And Tsitsipas spent some time after some bad stuff happened sulking and allowing his effort level to drop which is uh which is definitely disappointing to see the first example of this is in a hugely crucial stage of the match the first set tiebreak in the first set tiebreak um chorich went up three love because Pass began the tiebreak with a double fault then Chorich had a nice serve plus one winner uh, on the forehand. Then Pass made a forehand cross-court trading unforced error, which was not a good error. So, okay, tough start. And it's three love. So you're in a hole. So here's adversity. Pass has to be upset. How do you handle that adversity? The worst way to handle it possible is what Pass did. Um, this was the rally at three love. And Chorich hit a sharply angled forehand cross court. And Tsitsipas hit kind of a slap forehand cross court with a lot of pace on it. Tons of pace. 
Um, but Chorich was kind of right in the spot. You know, you see him camped in the deuce side. So the forehand wasn't really going to be damaging. The problem here is Tsitsipas did not recover hard. He he got lazy. Um, and you see at contact, you know, the video does it much better justice than the screenshots. But he's just not getting out of the corner here. Uh, he's ball watching. And he's just not, he's never going to get out of the corner. So... That was strange. You know, you look at where Chorich's forehand ended up, guys. This is like the middle third of the court. This isn't, you know, Chorich didn't hit a great forehand down the line here. I mean, sure, Tsitsipas was off the court. And, you know, sure, there wasn't a lot of time to recover because Tsitsipas hit the forehand cross court so hard. But to me, to my eye, if Steph just hustled, and after hitting that forehand, you know, immediately dug hard to get back to the middle, he would have been there. And I thought, hmm, that was strange. Did did my eyes deceive me? And then it was the next point where I realized my eyes almost definitely didn't deceive me. Why? Because the same thing happened. Here is an open stance backhand from Chorich. And Chorich goes cross court here. Tsitsipas is... In the ad side of the court here, he's very well positioned to uh, handle this, you know, Chorich backhand cross court. And and Chorich is going to hit this, and he's going to hit the line here. So, you know, credit to Chorich for that. But this shouldn't be a winner. Tsitsipas just doesn't go for it. It goes right past him. Uh, as soon as Chorich hit that ball, Tsitsipas was just hoping that it would go out. And it didn't. So now it's 5-love Chorich. You threw the set away. You threw the set away because you went down three love in the first, in, in the tie break. That's not good. It's really, really bad. Um, okay, we move on. We move on. Um, they were on serve in the second set. And Pass had a game where he made really the break of serve in the second set uh, was due to a, uh, a two double faults in the game. Tsitsipas began the game with a double fault and ended the game with a double fault. And then two missed volleys. One was very routine. One was kind of a tough, you know, reflex volley. But he had been making that volley for the most part all match long. So, you know, Tsitsipas was constantly net rushing in this match, which I'll get into later. Just, you know, really employing the same tactics that he used against Medvedev. Uh, but he made two mistakes at net, two double faults. There's the break of serve. Okay, here we go. Disappointment, adversity. How are you going to handle it? 4 2. Uh, open stance backhand, Chorich, way beyond, you know, far behind the baseline. And Chorich rips this cross court. I mean, what is this, folks? Uh, clean winner? Really? You're going to let him hit a clean winner from this position on the court? Uh, I'm sorry, but Tsitsipas is way too fast for that to be a winner. He could have gotten there. Didn't hustle. Very next point, it is 15-love. And Chorich hits this backhand down the line. And the, the backhand down the line is open. And Chorich hits this hard. But he misses his target. Whoa, this isn't a good backhand down the line. This isn't a backhand down the line winner. But Tsitsipas doesn't go for it. So, like, I can't mince my words here, guys. 
This is Titipas uh, responding to adversity and sulking um, in response to adversity instead of just continuing to dig in, uh, which is very out of character, I do want to say. Uh, I think that Titipas usually fights very hard from behind. Uh, he actually almost got back in this game. And it makes you wonder, could he have broken right back? Because Chorich from uh, from down, from up 40 love, actually lost three points in a row here and uh, had to end up holding from Deuce with with some clutch play and a uh, good serve, a couple of good serves, I believe. Um, you wonder if Tsitsipas would have broken right back if he had been engaged right from the jump. Look, this is a Masters 1000 final against a great player. You can't give give away points. You can't. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, the second area where Tsitsipas left points on the table is on uh, with the second serve return strategy. Now, the strategy was actually uh, two strategies in terms of uh, return position. He mixed it up. And usually I love it when a player mixes up their return position. It's something I generally praise players for. And I think that, you know, it's good to experiment and to find something that works and to give your opponents different looks. But in this case, it's a little bit different. And Jim Courier and the Tennis Channel broadcast, uh, they were they were on it. Uh, Jason Goodall as well. They were on this and they were they were hammering this home over and over again because it's just so obvious. The reason why I can't praise Tsitsipas for mixing up his second serve return position is because one of the strategies works and the other doesn't work. So don't mix it up. Just use the one that works. Um, so here is Tsitsipas's second serve return hit points. You can see ah, I didn't change it in, uh, from the metric unit. So my uh, my fans outside of the United States will be happy. Uh, I will use meters. Tsitsipas was at times about four meters behind the baseline. And at times he was up on the baseline, you know, zero meters or one meter behind the baseline. So he was mixing up his second serve return position. Chorich, on the other hand, was not mixing up his second serve spots. He was going to the backhand every single time, right? Uh, oh, nearly. So 86% to the backhand on the deuce side. Uh, 62% it really says, but you see the balls that land in the middle. They were really to the backhand. Uh, on the ad side, only once did he go T on the ad side, and Tsitsipas was so caught off guard, understandably so, that it was an ace. So that's how the element of surprise can work in your favor. Uh, so yeah, basically, there's one of two ways this, this is going to go. Um, Tsitsipas, when he stands up on the baseline, like this, is taking a backhand on the rise, early on the rise, and he's taking a full swing at it. He never chips the second serve return. He takes a swing at it. And in this case, this is love 40. I, I'm picking this return because uh, Tsitsipas can go up a break in the second set. This is a huge moment right here, and it goes just long. Um, and, you know, what if he makes this return? Do we have a different match? Potentially. Um, but he he mishit this return. It goes just long. So I will say, you know, in fairness, it almost went in. But he didn't, he didn't get a clean strike on it. And it feels like every time he stands in and tries to take his drive backhand on the rise, he doesn't make clean contact. 
It feels like he misses it about 50% of the time. It doesn't even go on the court, which is terrible for a second serve return strategy. What happens when he moves back? Well, on some, first of all, what happens is he has plenty of time to run around it and hit a forehand because you get more time. And especially if the serve bleeds towards the middle of the box, you have all day to just take, take some steps to your left and hit a forehand, which is just going to be a better return. Even if it gets to the backhand, now you have time to take that full swing. Now Tsitsipas can hit this cleanly. And, you know, you're in defensive. If it gets to the backhand, look, Tsitsipas can't be offensive. Uh, but you start the rally. And guess what? That's better than missing the return. So, you know, here's, I didn't want to search for, I didn't want to search too much. So I just took the first green grab I could um, when I was, had the replay up of this match. You know, here he is back and he makes good contact with the backhand return. And now he's in the rally. You know, that's better. That's better. It just is than, than standing up and missing all the returns. So I did feel that that is also an area where Tsitsipas left points on the table because it's not just in the Chorich matchup. It's pretty much everyone he plays. He does not hit drive returns up on the baseline well uh, against a kick serve. He doesn't. So I would like to see him just move back like he does on clay. And I think everyone, you know, again, credit to, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, if you watch the American broadcast on Tennis Channel, you've already heard this. So yeah, I agree with it. I agree with it. Um, he should just move back. Move back. All right, I do want to talk about Chorich um, again before we wrap things up. Um, actually, no. Actually, no. Let me let me wrap things up on Tsitsipas. Uh, positive for Tsitsipas, by the way. I just want to say uh, one thing he did really well is, uh, you know, I, I do like the high frequency of serve and volley that we've seen in this event. Uh, it wasn't just that he did it against Medvedev. Uh, he did it against Chorich here again. You know, tons of serve and volley. He has a great serve. He has great volleys. And uh, I think it's a good play for him to... Uh, to use, um, especially in a matchup where he was losing the baseline rallies. And he was in this matchup. He he was not winning from the baseline against Chorich. He wasn't getting crushed, but he was losing. He was getting edged. So uh, I thought it was a positive play for him to serve in volley. And uh, he was 9 of 12 at net in the first set. Made some mistakes in the second set, and he was only uh, 5 for 10 at net. So, you know. You could say that it didn't work quite as well in the second set, but I think it's really a positive that he's playing this uh, attacking tennis. I think it's very good. Okay, now we go to Chorich. The only thing I want to say is um, I kind of want to address the fact that Chorich was kind of dominating from the baseline here. It's going to be very hard for Tsitsipas to stay with his opposition in neutral baseline positions when he gets outplayed this comprehensively on the backhand. Now, I've gotten into that a couple of times this year in Tsitsipas matches, particularly against Alcaraz. Um, but, you know, the one thing that Chorich was able to do here is, and this is very difficult, he made Tsitsipas hit more backhands in this match than forehands. Uh, 102 to 94. This is very rare to see. It's rare to see because, first of all, Tsitsipas almost... You know, he, he has such great footwork and he runs around um, and he finds forehands with his footwork. Um, and also, behind his serve, he almost always gets a forehand because his serve, you know, it's just 
it's a big first serve and it's hard to get it to his backhand, right? So he usually hits far more forehands than backhands over the course of the match. The fact that Chorich made him hit more backhands uh, speaks volumes to how well Chorich returned serve and also uh, Chorich's awareness to take his forehand down the line and also the quality of Chorich's backhand cross court. It was very difficult for Tsitsipas to, to run around Chorich's backhand cross court, especially on such a quick surface. You get more time on clay. But now you look at the numbers on the backhand. Oh my God. Um, I'm going to take it from two sources here because some of these things can be um, subjective. So first I'll give you Infosys. Infosys had Chorich with seven backhand finishes to one on forced air. For Tsitsipas, they had one finish to nine unforced errors. So plus six for Chorich, minus eight for Tsitsipas on the backhand. Now we go to uh, Tennis TV, who has different stats. Again, people score this stuff differently. Uh, Tennis TV had 10 backhand winners for Chorich. Super high, by the way, in two sets. 10 backhand winners to four unforced errors. Tsitsipas, they had three backhand winners to 15 unforced errors. That's a huge discrepancy. Now, you might say, Gil, you're going Chorich's strengths to Tsitsipas's weakness. I'm not going to read you guys the forehand stats, but Chorich had a positive ratio on his forehand, according to both Infosys's scoring and Tennis TV's scoring. You know, the forehand was not nearly the weakness that Tsitsipas's backhand was in this match. Not close. You know, ultimately, uh, you know, you look at these backhand and backhand rallies. You look at Chorich taking his forehand down the line instead of going cross court to Tsitsipas's forehand strength. Uh, the backhand battle it just wasn't close. It, it, it's a complete, it's a complete mismatch in favor of Chorich. Depth and penetration. And and one quick note, uh, I'll wrap it up with this. Um, and by the way, Tsitsipas's forehand, phenomenal to start the match. Missed occasionally for the rest. You know, it, it just, it was flawless to begin the match. And then it started to miss a bunch. Not, it was never wild. It wasn't crazy, but it just wasn't that, that completely kind of game over, zero mistakes weapon that, that it was at the start of the match. Anyway, uh, I do want to say rain was approaching. And this is a fitting end to this show. Rain was approaching, and I thought it was going to get real dramatic. Was Chorich going to be able to secure his first Masters 1000 final before the rain started coming down in Cincy? And Tsitsipas was serving down 2-5. And uh, the first two points of the match... Um, the first two two points of sorry that game, Chorich hit hard backhands cross court to Tsitsipas backhand unforced errors. Chorich broke to win this match at um at two five in the uh, in the second set. He never had to serve it out. Their you know nerves could have come into play. I don't think they would have. But if rain came in, that would have been really tough. And Chorich was able to break for the title in large part to that backhand to backhand mismatch where he was able to get a love 30 lead and ultimately he uh he takes it
So, uh, again, super happy. Congratulations to Borna Choric and his fans for Borna Choric. I'm very happy. And for Tsitsipas, uh, I should acknowledge the big picture situation. Um, look, this was a positive week. This was good. But let's face it. He's going to be really frustrated if he continues to uh, lose Masters Hardcourt Finals. Uh, he, he hasn't won an, an outdoor hardcourt tournament yet in his career. It'll come. But uh, I think he's pretty frustrated with it. I think there's tons of positives out of the way he was playing this week. Tons of positives. Uh, but he does need to keep it together mentally. You know, I just, I'm seeing, I'm not seeing kind of a, a player who plays like a veteran. And Tsitsipas is starting to get up there in age. You know, he's no longer a kid. I believe he's 24. So he just needs to start to to really, uh, and, and maybe, maybe it'll never happen. I just feel like there are uh, holes to poke a lot of the time in, in his mental game. In this case, it was actually the effort level dipping at certain points in this match, which you don't like to see. Uh, all right, everybody, here is the plan. Uh, you're not going to hear from me until the U.S. Open draw comes out, and then we will have a highly anticipated U.S. Open preview. You can also catch me on Tennis Channel doing the mornings with uh, Jan Michael Gamble next week uh, for Winston-Salem, Cleveland, and Granby. Um, so tune in for that. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.